0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. It's great to be with you. My name is Ethan Collins. I'm the Global Outreach uh, Missions Pastor at Scottsdale Bible. And we came to Phoenix from the Houston area. So we lived in the Woodlands, Texas, and I was serving as a pastor there. And my son Emmett is here. He's our oldest and then our My daughter and wife, Amber, are off on a mother-daughter camp out. But we've got the little guy, Sawyer, who's uh, loving life in your awesome room. That is the coolest kids' room I've ever seen with the basketball goal and the uh, treehouse-looking thing. That's awesome. We may not get him out of there. I don't think we're going to get home. But uh, if that room stays intact, we'll call that a win from Sawyer. Uh, It's great to be with you. and, And, you know, your pastor is a kind of a legend at scottsdale bible he's one of probably the most beloved pastors we've ever had and and we've seen lots of pastors come and go at scottsdale bible not all of them are talked about positively i'll just say that but larry anderson is beloved and people still speak so highly of your pastor so it's an honor to be in the pulpit uh, of him yeah it's great In fact, there's a big picture of all the guys who've been senior pastors at Scottsdale Bible and Larry's picture's there in the hallway, so he's watching me, I know, uh, on a daily basis. But I also want to say on behalf of uh, the missions committee and, and missions leadership, it's great to be here because your work at Hope House and, y- you know, I was talking to Kim Schott in between and, and the ministry you guys have been doing at Tanzania has been really great, and so it's wonderful to be with the missions-minded church. And you've sent, thank you, I want to say thank you, for releasing your senior pastor to go to the European Leadership Forum. Larry is in Poland right now to serve and pour into and mentor some pastors in Eastern Europe. Uh, His wife was just telling me he's going to meet later today with some pastors from Romania. So you have released your senior pastor to have an impact on the nations as we've been called to go and make disciples of all nations. And your senior pastor is leading the way for all of us by doing that. But that's a testimony to you as well. Uh, for releasing him to go do that not all churches are that uh, generous with their senior pastor's time and so I'm, I'm grateful to be here today with you at north bible um, i want to share uh, some thoughts today i know you guys have been in the lord's prayer series and that's exciting because that's that was exactly what i was going to talk to you and about uh, and then when i spoke to larry on tuesday he mentioned that you guys have been in the series and what i'm going to share about comes from luke 11 i know you have been looking at the matthew 6 version of the Lord's Prayer, but there's a parable in Luke 11, right after Jesus shares the Lord's uh, Prayer, He gets asked by His disciples, uh, Lord teach us to pray, and He gives the Lord's Prayer, and then He gives a little parable in Luke 11, 5 through 8, you're probably familiar with it, but it's a parable of the neighbor who comes over at midnight, and we're going to look at that, and I think there's some missions type dynamics at play in our understanding of that. Uh, parable, And it has to do with honor-shame dynamics that uh, tend to be dominant features in cultures around the world. Not so much ours. We tend to f- uh, function more on the right-wrong uh, paradigm or, or uh, guilt-innocence paradigm. That's why the Supreme Court and the court of uh, law and rule of law is so important to us. And we teach our kids not to cheat and steal and lie because we have a strong sense of right and wrong. Well, in other parts of the world, and I think this is true where Jesus lived in in first century Palestine, that wasn't their primary dynamic. It wasn't right-wrong. It seems to be more honor-shame. And some of you who have traveled to that part of the world understand those dynamics. So that's what we're going to look at in Luke 11. Uh, Before we open up the Word, though, let let me pray for us and just ask God to bless our time in His Word. Father, thank you for North Bible Church. Thank you for Uh, Larry and the leadership team here and the elders we pray your blessings on his time today as he's probably right now spending time with some pastors from Eastern Europe and we just pray you'd bless him fill him up with your spirit give him wise counsel from your word and from his experience of walking with you and uh, the Holy Spirit to really speak into and encourage the lives of these pastors from Romania thank you too for the impact this church is having locally, thank you for their ministry at Hope House and for being a salt and light right here in this community, this neighborhood, and I thank you for uh, your word that we're going to get into right now, pray you'd speak to us through your word, challenge us uh, by what you want us to know, And, and mostly thank you for revealing to us through your word and through the teachings of Jesus, the heart of the Father, your heart for us, Father, your children. And pray that we would be encouraged mightily today as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. I also want to say this. Thank you for what you mean. My my two youngest kids go to school right across the street over here at Archway School. And so my daughter has mentioned that she's been here for some theater plays and stuff like that. So you are being salt and light right here in your neighborhood. So thank you again for that. Uh, You know, I, I got to listen to Larry's sermon last week and as he talked about the prodigal son and really i I think he nailed it i think he and troy a few weeks earlier when troy talked about the our father and kicked off this series i think your teaching pastors are right on the money when it comes to the lord's prayer because i think the primary purpose of jesus teaching us how to pray is not so that we could learn some mechanical rote system to pray, right? God's not interested in that. In fact, we get additional teachings by Jesus where he says, Don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do because they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Uh, Jesus, I think the, what he's trying to teach us and communicate to us is not a system or a format of prayer, but I think what he's trying to teach us is the heart of the Father, the heart of God, and how we can approach the heart of God in prayer. And so when Larry last week talked about the prodigal son, and sort of <coughs> through the words of N.T. Wright, changes that, almost changes the title of that parable in Luke 15 to The Running Father. And I love that image of not the prodigal son who's blown it and comes back, but what a powerful image of an older man in first century Palestine who runs out to meet his son. And I think we're going to get into some dynamics like that where I believe uh, that would have been very. Um, For an older man to run like that would have been very uh, abnormal, would have been very uh, against cultural norms. Uh, Men didn't do that. And so we see a guy breaking, going against uh, culture, and it probably would have been shameful or disgraceful even for an older man to run like that. And because the dynamics of honor and shame are are so strong in first century Palestine, that would have been um, weird and not normal but a powerful image of who God is. I think we're going to get into some of that in this parable of the friend at midnight because I think there's some honor-shame dynamics that we in our Western cultural uh, lens don't always pick up. And so I'm thankful for Larry for setting me up last week so beautifully uh, like he did uh, when he talked about the running father. Um, you know, it happened, I don't, I don't know exactly how, but I, I'm going to share two thoughts really uh, about this parable. One has to do with the question Jesus asked in Luke 5, and then the second one is a specific word in the text in verse 8. And so let me read it, and then we'll dive in to our passage this morning. So this is Luke 11, verses 5 through 8. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Simple story, guy... Uh, has a visitor arrive at night. He's not ready for him. He's not prepared. So he then in turn goes to another neighbor to get some supplies, maybe a cup of sugar if you've ever been in that situation where you're trying to make a cake and you don't have brown sugar. I had to go just a few months ago to my neighbors and borrow a half a cup of brown sugar for the cookies we were making. And so maybe that's a way we can maybe understand this story. Someone's coming you're not expecting them. You don't have food to feed them. And so you go to a neighbor, and the first thing we're going to look at is a question uh, that Jesus asks, and then we'll look at a word. But before we do that, you know, I I am going to present to you a premise that our understanding of this parable has been misunderstood, that we've got a a mistranslated word, and we've applied that word to the wrong person in the story. I know that may be, I'm taking some steps in that, but... uh, in cross-cultural communication sometimes it happens I want to read a story to you maybe to to emphasize that this is a story uh, written by an uh, about an English school teacher and a, a schoolmaster who's in Switzerland and see if you can it'll be a funny story you may catch the humor in it but the point is sometimes when we communicate cross-culturally things can get a little dicey and sometimes when we approach the scriptures the text was written uh, to a different audience, in a different language, and we have had it, we inherit it as a church today uh, in a different language and a different culture, and so I think as we dig in, uh, that's the case I'm going to be presenting to you this morning, is that maybe we in the West have uh, gotten this parable and it's been tweaked a little bit and we're not seeing it as it was potentially originally presented by Jesus. So here's a story, it says this, an English school teacher was in Switzerland and looking for a room to rent for when she was to begin her teaching there the following fall. She asked the schoolmaster if he could recommend any rooms, so he took her to see several rooms, and when everything was settled, she returned home to make final preparations for the move. When she arrived home, the thought suddenly occurred to her that she had not seen a water closet or a toilet around the, the room. She immediately wrote a note to the schoolmaster asking him if there was a WC, near her room. The schoolmaster was a poor uh, learner of English, so he asked the parish priest about the meaning of the letters WC. And the only solution they could come up with for the letters was Wayside Chapel. Okay, let the insanity begin. The schoolmaster then wrote the following note to the English lady seeking a WC with her classroom. Dear Madam, I take great comfort in informing you that a WC is situated nine miles from the house, in the corner of a beautiful grove of trees surrounded by lovely grounds. It is capable of holding 229 people, but it is only open on Sundays and Thursdays. As there are a great many people expected during the summer months, I would suggest that you come early, although there is usually plenty of standing room. This is an unfortunate situation, particularly if you're in the habit of going regularly. (laughs) You will no doubt be glad to hear that a good many bring their lunch and make a day of it, while others who can't afford to come by car arrive just in time. I would especially advise your ladyship to go on Thursdays when there is an organ accompanist. The acoustics are excellent, and even the most delicate sounds can be heard all throughout the building. It may interest you to know that my daughter was married in the WC and it was there that she met her husband. I can remember the rush there was for seats. There were 10 people to a seat usually reserved for one and it was wonderful to see the expression on their faces. Uh, My wife is rather delicate so she can't go regularly. It is almost a year since she went last. Naturally, it pains her not to be able to go more often. I shall be delighted to reserve the best seat for you, if you wish, uh, where you'll be seen by all. For the children, there's a special time so that they will not disturb the elders. Hoping to have been of some service to you, I remain sincerely the schoolmaster. So a a funny story just to communicate the difference in understanding the WC. And so we're going to dive into this parable uh, in Luke 11, verse 5 to 8, and I present maybe something similar along this lines of mi- misunderstanding uh, what the other person was saying. And maybe that's our, been our understanding traditionally of this parable. Because as I understand it, I came to Christ through Young Life, uh, was on Young Life staff for many years. And traditionally how this parable has been taught is that it's teaching, Jesus is teaching us to be persistent in prayer. We've got to keep knocking on the door uh, because of our knocking. God answers our prayers. I'm going to propose that's not what Jesus was teaching. And i want to propose that he's actually not even talking about the knocker at the door, but he's talking about the sleeper inside the house who's being asked to respond. But the first part is this question. When Jesus asked this question, who of you would have a friend that comes at night and you're not prepared for him? Every time Jesus asks a question in the Gospels, and we get seven examples of it, Every time he asks a question with this little uh, formula, right, uh, he's expecting a no response every single time. So I've got all those examples in the Gospels. And so uh, in this example, the, the question would be, which of you, if you have a friend, would come, will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Notice that's not the end of the question. The question runs all the way through verse 7, and it has to do with the response of the guy inside the house, how he responds to the need of the person going to him. Here's his response. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. That's the end of the question. So in this formula where Jesus is expecting a no answer, What he's getting at is, could you imagine going to a friend at night and asking him for help and him saying, don't bother me, leave me alone, the door's locked, my kids are in bed, and the natural answer from those listening to Jesus would have been, no, never, that would never happen. If I go to my neighbor's house and ask him for bread, he's going to give me bread, he will respond. Now, I, I come from Texas, so when you talk about somebody coming to your house at midnight and knocking on your door, That conjures up images of 12-gauge shotguns and meeting them at the front door and saying, may I help you please, those kinds of things. But we're not in Texas, right? The story uh, doesn't take place anywhere even in the United States of America. It's in first century Palestine. And in that culture, it was based on honor and shame. And it's also built around a great sense of hospitality. If you've ever been to the Middle East or that part of the world, other parts of the world, there's a strong sense of hospitality. If you're my guest, I am obligated to take care of you. I'm obligated to feed you, bring you into my home. In fact, uh, to illustrate that, uh, I got to travel in 2004. My wife and I were living in Kenya, East Africa as missionaries, and we had some friends who were serving in Sinai, Yemen. Yemen's in the south of the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, It's in bad shape right now. There's a civil war going on there. But at that point in time, in 2004, We had some friends who were missionaries in Yemen, and they invited me to come visit them. Uh, At that time, there were more detainees at Guantanamo Bay from Yemen than anywhere else in the world. And I'm a Texas guy, home of George W. Bush. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go to Yemen. That doesn't sound like the greatest place I should go to. But they were insistent. They really wanted to show off their beautiful country, and so I went. I, I flew into Sinai, Yemen, and... The first day we get there, these two boys wanted to take me downtown to Sinai, Yemen, because it's the oldest living city. What's well, the second oldest living, continuous living city, only to Damascus, Syria, which is also in bad shape right now, as we all know. But so, so we get in the taxi cab from their house and we go down to the old city in Sinai, and the taxi driver turns around. And, you know, I had taken some precautions before I got there because I was a little nervous. And the guys, these boys' fathers said, eh, everything's cool, you don't need to worry about anything, they, they'll, you'll, you'll have a great trip, but wouldn't be a bad idea if you grew a beard just to kind of fit in with some of the guys here. So I grew a beard, and I'm trying to disguise myself and don't want anybody to know, one, I'm American, two, I'm from Texas, right? So I'm trying to play it cool. I've got my uh, fundamentalist beard grown out, and I'm trying to play the part and camouflage myself. So we get in the taxi cab, and the guy turns around right away, and he goes, He's looking at me and he goes, Where are you from? And my heart starts to go nuts. I'm thinking, Man, I didn't even get here five minutes and I'm going to be taken out back and this guy's going to throw me in the trunk and slit my throat and it's going to be game over. And I'll never see my wife. And I didn't have kids at that point in time, but I wanted to have kids. But now that was going to all be gone because this crazy terrorist taxi cab driver was going to kill me. And I choked. I said, I'm from Canada and then I smiled and he turned back around and kept driving us down to the city center but he wasn't satisfied with my answer and so he turned back around he pointed at me again he said you where are you from and I said I'm from the U.S. I'm American and as I began to get a little anxious about what was going to happen this huge smile came across his face you know what he said he said I've never met anybody from the United States of America. Thank you so much for coming to our country. It's beautiful here. And then he said this, "You have to come to my house. I have to introduce my wife to you and we'll make tea for you. Oh, this is the greatest day of my life. Someone from the US has come to Yemen. Ah, oh, this is fantastic." And so I thought it was going to go one direction and it went the total opposite. This guy was so honored that I would come visit his country. He wanted to bring me to his house, show me off to his wife and family. And that really taught me a lot about honor, shame, and how that works in Middle Eastern countries. If you've traveled in some of those places, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's um, It's a weird dynamic, right? They, they don't really like the United States of America corporately. They would say that, you know, death to America, we see that on news and stuff. But at the individual level, me, Ethan, in the backseat of this guy's taxi, he wants to bring me over to his home and make me tea, and introduce me to his wife, and bring honor to me and to him, and it was just this interesting honor-shame dynamic that uh, a lot of times we don't understand, so I think that's what's happening. When Jesus says, who of you could imagine this scenario happening if you go to your neighbor's house, and they would say, no, leave me alone. The door's locked. I'm not going to give you any food. They would say, that's ridiculous, Jesus. No, of course. We would get up, and we would give them bread because that would never happen so jesus uh expects a no answer the other examples of those i'll just give you a few but there's seven examples in the gospel of jesus asking a question that expects or elicits a response of no one is in matthew 6 27 when jesus says who of you same formula who of you uh can add a single hour to his life by worrying no nobody can Right, another one. Who among you or who of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? No, nobody. That's crazy. A dad wouldn't do that. A dad who loves his children would never do that. I got to see Aaron in between services. He and Amber playing with Isaac. I'm going to talk about a beautiful little kid. That boy is cute. Could you imagine Aaron... Being asked by Isaac to give him some food and him giving him a stone? No, that would be ridiculous. Aaron would never do that. A father would ne- wouldn't do that to their children. Uh, another question um, is, if your son, Who among you, if your son or oxen has fallen into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't pull him out? Of course you would. No, that, I wouldn't leave him in the well. All, so all these questions that Jesus uses with this formula, expect a no response. And the last one is, you know, in Luke 17, uh, Jesus says this, Who among you, if you have a servant come from the fields, would say to your servant, Hey, you've been working hard all day. Come sit down and let me serve you. I don't think so. Okay, that's not going to happen. So every time Jesus uses this little formula that he uses in verse 5 of Luke 11, the response expected is no. And I think the dynamic that drives the no in Luke 11, 5 is this honor-shame dynamic. Because when somebody came to your house and asked you for some some help with a visitor, your honor is on the the line, right? Not only the honor of your friend who's coming, but your honor, as you've been asked, and even to take it out a step further, the honor of the whole village, right? The whole village's honor is at stake. We've got an outside visitor coming. We've got to take care of them. We've got this uh, sense of hospitality as a village, as a community, that we've got to take care of this visitor. So his honor was at stake, and that's why you would get a no response in verse 5. So that's, that's the first part of this parable. The second piece, I think, is really where we're going to drill in, and that's a word, and this word in the Greek is anadeia, and so I, th- I believe and think this word has been misunderstood by us, mistranslated, much like the wayside chapel water closet uh, has been mixed up. So on this next slide, I have the actual Greek word. The Greek word is anadeia. And I know this type of church, I know you guys are big Bible students, and I myself went to Dallas Seminary, so I wouldn't never get up here and make some claims about the Bible if I hadn't done my research. So this word is actually in the Strong's Concordance. Those of you who are uh, Bible geeks like me and, and have your Strong Concordance, it's Strong's number 335. I want you to look it up. I wouldn't be up here talking about this if I didn't think this was truth of God's word. So look this word up. It actually has two meanings. Okay, this word in the Greek, it does mean persistence as we have often interpreted it and understood this word in the parable, but it has another meaning. And this meaning actually is the predominant way it's been used, both in scripture and in extra-biblical writings. And that definition of this word is uh, shamelessness. This thought of no shame, uh, shamelessness. There's no sense of shame uh, in that person. And so here's what we're going to do is we dig into verse 8 and we break this verse down bit by bit. I want you to walk with me. Have an open mind. Let's think together if possibly we've got a mistranslated word because the word means two things. It means both persistence and it means shamelessness. So I, my, my proposition to you is that we've got a mistranslated word now, but before I, I go into that, let me just say this has nothing to do with the inerrancy of the Scriptures, right? I, I'm big on inerrancy of the Bible. If we lose the inerrancy of God's Word, we kind of lose everything, right? It sort of all falls apart. So we cling to God's Word as our bedrock and uh, Scripture is uh, inspired, as 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 tells us. So because it's been mistranslated, it says nothing about inerrancy, right? In the original text in the original Greek and Hebrew it's inspired and inerrant if it's been mistranslated as it's been uh, translated throughout the centuries and cultures that says nothing about inerrancy okay so I want to be clear about that don't want uh, to be accused of being a heretic here at North Bible Church It has Bible in the name you know we we can't do that but here's my proposal that we have a mistranslated word and We've applied it to the wrong person in the parable. Okay, let's, let's do it. Verse 8, I'm just going to read it again, and then we'll break it down bit by bit. Here we go. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. Oh, that's verse 6, 7, 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence... That's what my translation says. I've got the ESV. You may have a different version with a different uh, word there. Some say persistence. uh, Some say importunity. Uh, He will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, I learned the Bible from my pastor in Houston, a guy named Dave Anderson. And Dave Anderson's a great Bible teacher, and he says it this way. When you study the Scriptures, Ethan, remember three things. It's kind of like a real estate uh, salesman which is location, location, location. But when you study the scriptures, remember these three things. Context, context, context. Okay. What's the context of the story? What's the context that, in which this verse is in? And the context of this word, Anadeia, is in verse 8. Okay. So here it is up on the screen. I tell you, though he will not get up, give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his, and I've, I've substituted the English word for the Greek word here just to see if it helps us. Because of his Anadea, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, so that's the context in which our word in question falls into. Let's break it down and see in this context, could this word be applied to not the knocker, if it's translated persistence, but to the sleeper inside. Okay, so let's look at, there are six sort of actions taking place in verse six, in verse 8. And here's the first one. It says this, though I tell you, he will not get up, okay? So who's who's that? Who's Jesus talking about here? He will not get up. Is that talking about the knocker or the sleeper? The sleeper, okay? The guy outside the door, the guy knocking is already up, right? He's not, he doesn't need to get up. He's already up. The guy inside the house, the sleeper, needs to get up, okay? So Jesus says he will not get up, though I tell you he will not get up. Here's the second action. He will not give him anything. Okay, so who's going to be the giver in this parable? Is it the guy knocking at the door? It's not the guy outside the door knocking, is it? He's not giving anything. He's the guy in need in the story. In the parable, he needs to be given something. The person who's going to give is the sleeper. Make sense? Tracking with me? I did go to Texas A&M, so I'm a little slower than most. But um, I think so far, we can all buy in that the action in verse 8 is talking about the sleeper and the guy inside the house. Okay, here's our third third action says this. Because he is his friend. Okay, he's not gonna get up, give him anything to eat, because he's a friend. Alright, so now we're looking at uh, who's who's the friend of who? Who who needs who's being called to respond out of friendship? Is that the knocker or the sleeper? Yeah, again, the sleeper. So so far, three out of three. The action in verse 8 is all talking about the sleeper, the guy inside the house. Okay, now here's our word in question. It says, yet because of his... And now here's where I I propose we have a mistranslation or a misunderstanding of the word. So I'm going to leave it blank, okay? Because it does mean both things. It does mean persistence, and it does mean shamelessness. We're just going to skip it, all right? In this thought of context, context, context... Everything so far, the action in verse 8 is talking about the sleeper. We'll skip this one. Let's look at the next two, and then we'll come back to uh, that word. It says, he will rise. Okay, so we got somebody coming. He's been asked to give. He's being asked to give because he's a friend. Now he's saying, Jesus is saying, he will rise. Who do you think he's talking about? Who's going to rise, the sleeper or the knocker? Yeah, the sleeper, okay? So again, so we've got sleeper, 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 skip, sleeper. Okay, so four out of five, we're talking about the sleeper. And here's the last one. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. Who's, gonna, who's being asked to give in this parable? Sleeper or knocker? Sleeper, okay? So five out of six, even if we skip our word in question, five out of six of the actions in verse 8, are applied, should be applied to the sleeper. Does that make sense? Okay, so now, again, being a Texas A&M graduate, I'm a little slow. You can ask my wife for verification of that fact. But if five of the actions in verse 8 are talking about one guy, could it be, is it possible, in this thought of context, 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 that the fourth one that's embedded right in the middle of all this other action could also be talking about the sleeper. Makes sense to me. If that's who Jesus is talking about, he will rise, he will get up, give him something to eat because he's his friend, he will rise, give him whatever he needs. All that action is talking about the sleeper. It makes sense to me. It's not too big of a stretch to think that whatever that word is, and I've left it bracketed here and blank, that could also be talking about the sleeper as well. You with me? Okay, so now let's do this. Let's take it to the next step. If it means two different things, let's erase. You know, Larry talked about writing with erasable pens. I love that. Last week he talked about that. I'm going to use his erasable pen analogy here. We're going to erase this word and change it to another meaning. Instead of persistence, let's see what happens in the next slide when we put shamelessness in there. I tell you, though he will not get up, and give him anything because he is his friend yet because of his shamelessness he will rise and give him whatever he needs hello could that work could that be talking about the sleeper yet because the sleeper will not uh, let his friend at the door experience shame he will bring honor to his friend He's obligated by hospitality, this thought of hospitality, this thought of honor and shame, and, and even beyond individual honor and shame, this thought of village honor. He would honor, make sure his village is thought of as a, an honorable village. No shame would come from our village. He's going to get up and give him whatever he needs. Now, two things happen. This is where the running father comes in so profoundly. The parable is not about the knocker. It's not about me and my approach to prayer, right? It's not about me. If God says no the first time, keep banging. Maybe I can wake him up. Maybe I can change his mind. Man, that's a burden. That's a weight on us as followers of Jesus to try to think. He said no the first 87 times. Let me. Okay, I'm supposed to keep knocking. Now, I'm, I'm a huge grace guy because uh, I came to Christ as a 20 year old and my life was dumpster fire right it was a wreck and i didn't know jesus and so i came to love grace really early on because i realized if i got to work to repair this thing it's going to take me a long time to get there but when i understood grace and that it's not about my works it's about the finished work of jesus on the cross talk about tractor beam that thing sucked me in the teaching of grace we get in ephesians 2 8 through 10 I can't get enough of grace because I know what a wretched uh, scumbag I am and how much I need God's grace. And so uh, as a grace guy, now I think about this and I think about the heart of the Father and I think about, man, this changes everything about this parable. It's not about me working hard to convince God to answer my prayer. In fact, it's not even about me at all. This parable is not about us as as prayers, it's about God. The parable is about God the Father. The sleeper inside who um, and you think about it this way, isn't waiting for a persistence of prayer but it's as if he's sitting on the edge of the bed cupping his hand over his ear and he's eager to answer. Think about the parable now in this sense. If it's about uh, God preserving His honor and protecting His honor, and because of His shamelessness, He's going to jump out of bed and give this guy whatever he needs. That's a game changer, and it changes the grace we need. It's not dependent upon our persistence, but prayer is dependent upon who God is. That's that's I love that. That's a game changer for me. That our prayer, my prayer, uh, has very little to do with me at all. Our prayer works because of who god is amen prayer works because god is the god of the universe who's sovereign and in control and like the sleeper in this story is eager to answer the prayer of his children eager to respond to the honor of his children to to keep them from uh experiencing shame to keep the church the community of god Christ's followers now from experiencing shame so he's eager to answer our prayer that's a game changer It shows us the heart of God. shows us, much like Larry and Troy have been teaching, that we've got a running father. We've got a God now who's eager to answer our prayer. Uh, You know, God will preserve His honor even if we come to Him at midnight, even if we come to Him ill-prepared, if we don't have bread for our visitors. It's as if God's waiting at the edge of the bed for us to come to Him and say, Lord, I'm not ready for today. I don't know how this thing's going to work out. i got this issue at work today. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. Would you help me? He's eager to answer and fill those requests and meet our needs as his children. Uh, The other piece I want to mention about context is the whole totality of Luke 11 verses 1 through 13. That whole point is Jesus is trying to teach the disciples not some rote memory prayer, but he's trying to teach them who God the Father is. He talks by, by giving him the Lord's Prayer and says, our Father who art in heaven. You know how he finishes after the parable of the friend at midnight? He says, who among you, if your son asks for a, uh, uh, an egg, would give him a stone or asks for, uh, how else does he say it here in verse 10? If he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion. You know, you then, if you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask so the whole point of Luke 11 1 through 13 is to teach us how good God is how good our Heavenly Father is that's why I think for me I've been looking at this parable for about four years trying to think could that really be I've been thinking this parable is about my persistence and how I have to continue to keep banging and it feels like I'm banging my head against the wall because God just not answering my prayers in this arena But what a difference, what a paradigm shift when we can see this thought of uh, God's not a God who's looking for our, necessarily our persistence in prayer, but He's a God who is eager to answer. And I hope today you're encouraged by that thought. I know it may be a new thought for you. I'd love to visit with you afterward. I had a few people come after the first service and uh, just tell me, I've never thought of it that way before, and that's great. It's great for us to be sharpened by the scriptures and to be sharpened by God's word, to be thinking and to have uh, the word of God challenge us in new ways. And I hope maybe this thought of looking at the story of the parable at midnight in a little bit different uh, cultural context, this thought of honor-shame dynamics, that it challenges us all. So what does it do for me? So what's the takeaway for me? I think now, because I have maybe a little bit different, a deeper understanding of the heart of God, the heart of our Heavenly Father, that He's eager to answer my prayers, uh, that then motivates me then to be persistent. Hey, why wouldn't I just pray about everything? If I know God is eager to answer, that drives me now to be persistent in prayer. So you can have it, you can have your cake and eat it too, right? We'll call it shamelessness, and that'll drive us to be persistent, and if that helps uh, choke this parable down today from my perspective, that'd be great. That's kind of how I see it now is, because God is eager to answer and this thought of preserving his honor and this thought of not having any shame touch him or touch me or touch the church, uh, it drives me then to pray about everything. And so I hope that encourages you, encourages us as churches to to increase our prayer life. You know Ramadan started this week. Uh, It's a Muslim month of fasting. It's 30 days of fasting and so there's a little prayer booklet that comes out every year, 30 days of prayer for the Muslim world. And so as I think about a God who's eager to answer, I think about all those dark places in our planet. And I think now optimistically, and I think about a God who's eager to answer. That when we come to him and pray, send up petitions for our friends in the Muslim world who desperately need Jesus, who desperately need to know the love of God, that he's a father who wants to know them, who is a running father, right? That parable in Luke 15, man, we need to send Larry Anderson to the Middle East. He'll preach that prodigal son sermon that'll preach that'll land in the middle east right we have they have a father who loves them and who is running to receive them into the family of god Uh, so i hope you're encouraged thank you so much again for letting me come and it's an honor to be here with you let me pray to close this and then uh, aaron's gonna bring us home so let's pray thank you so much father thank you for your word Thank you for this parable, the parable of the friend at midnight, because I think as it challenges me, and I've been challenged by it now for four years, thinking about what does that word mean? What is this word in the original Greek? Does it mean persistence? Does it mean shamelessness? Lord, it's just so uh, encouraging to, to study your word. It's so encouraging to be challenged by your word and to think that uh, this parable is talking about the sleeper it's talking about you god our father who as larry shared last week is a running father and god as we look at today you're a god who is not only a running father but you're a god who is eager to answer and so as we head into this next week and we have so many things so many needs so many things we're praying for god would we be encouraged as we lean in together this week and uh, walk with you that we would remember that you are a God who is eager to answer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.